that old SFD. Roaming the streets of Superflex City, and this is the Superflex Super Show. And here we go. Tommy B is back by popular demand. We're doing another Ask Me Anything episode uh, yet again this week. But yeah, this this time uh, I wanted to uh, to to get a little help. So yeah, Tommy Tommy Blair's back here um, to talk a little bit. We've got man, we've got a ton of stuff we could cover, but we definitely have to make sure and talk about uh, you know answer these ask me anything questions. And we've got several of them, so several very good ones, and then some Peter Howard ones as well. <laughs> but, but before that. Uh, I I do want to point out, Tommy, that uh, it, it, you know we got a ton of great feedback the last time you were on. A lot of people really enjoyed what you had to say. Really appreciated it. Um, really, uh, really intrigued by your strategy. Um, and you didn't even get a chance to to get into. Like afterwards, you six sigma'd my entire game. <laughs> <laughs> and like we didn't even talk about this. I didn't even know that this was that this was like part of the that that this was within the realm of possibility. And next thing I know, I've got like the longest DM ever of like, oh, here's what here's what you do. Here are your weaknesses, here are your strengths, and here's how I would turn them into weaknesses. <laughs> like it was just <laughs> absolutely insane do you do that to like everybody in every league i do yeah first thank you so much for having me on um i i listened back after i was on the superflex super show and i thought i sounded like a moron to be honest with you of course you want to get the good quarterbacks that's not some revolutionary thing so I'm, i'm glad that people enjoyed it and um we'll see what else comes up but yeah to answer your question i do look at every single league mate and I analyze their strengths and try to turn them into weaknesses. And the reason I didn't talk about it last time is a, I didn't want to expose any edges that I may have found <laughs> on you to everybody, because I thought that might be a little bit rude on my first uh, <laughs> entry into the podcast world. That's kind of a dick move. The other thing is my wife told me not to be so mean. And that if I, if I, told you and told everybody that this is what I was doing, I would come off as a not likable person. And I didn't want to do that. So I kept those those cards close to the vest, but I'm willing to uh, lay them down today if you want. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, tell your wife that her check is in the mail. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I have to, every time I have a guest, I have to, like, I, 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 tell their wife yeah like just just tell him not to be too much of a of a dick to me the only one who doesn't <laughs> seem to listen is peter howard or maybe i just can't afford uh af- afford her uh her uh alliance her allegiance so <laughs> but uh but no like uh, first of all i did not think that you came across as stupid at all i mean i do think that this like this strategy is the type of thing that people probably just kind of very briefly think about and then just kind of breeze past it and say, "Eh, that's not really something that, that like that's, that's just not even feasible, right. To get the V top five quarterbacks, like you can get the top two, 
but you know, in order to, to get five, it's like, am I going to have like literally anything else on this roster? And the answer is maybe not. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's certainly it, 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 like, it's not like you're going to just have nothing. You've got the waiver wire. You've, you know, there are players available to you. How good are they going to be? Yeah, that's, that's the part that is going to make people uncomfortable, but it's also not really supposed to matter. Yeah. And I think we as fantasy managers have a very um, egocentric orbital perspective. We think that the league is about us accumulating assets and us uh, going head to head with people for a period of 14 to 17 weeks. And that's what fantasy is. But really, it's something completely different. It is a pretty dynamic set of 400 assets, right? And the assets at the very top matter exponentially more. I've, I've termed this the brontosaurus curve, where if you're to draw out the silhouette of a brontosaurus, you know, it's got that tiny little head way up in the air. It's got a sloping neck and a very large body with a long tail. Think about the head. Those are the, you know, 10 to 20 assets that really matter in fantasy. And those are what I'm trying to influence, whether those be quarterbacks or Travis Kelsey or Justin Jefferson or whoever. Cooper Cup, I don't care. They are assets at the head of the brontosaurus. They're the assets that I want to influence in my league, whether I own them or whether I'm putting them in places where you can't have them. I want to make sure that I have some influence over where they land over the course of the season. And this is the perfect time of year to talk about that, honestly, because people are in a theoretical phase. They're building their teams. They're thinking about, you know, these general philosophies. Do I approach this, this league as a QBX team? Am I an elite QB team? What am I? There's all sorts of variations. Once we get into the season, we're just trying to survive, right? Our 11th string running back is the one we're starting in week five. That's just a reality once we get to it. But right now is the time to think about generally how do we want to build teams? Yeah, I like that. And we actually have a question that kind of uh, pertains to that a little bit. So we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But yeah, here's the thing. I, I consider myself both self-deprecating, but also self-confident enough to be self-deprecating. Uh, so I'm welcoming you to expose some of my weaknesses here. Just because more than anything, I mean, you know, I I'm I'm in some leagues with several of my super friends who might decide that they want to exploit this, but more than anything, it's like, this is the type of thing that you think about that you kind of look at and that you analyze, um, you know, kind of the, the, the poker analogy, play the, you know, play the player, not the cards. Yep. Um, this, that's, that's what you're doing here. You're kind of looking at, and it's, and it's not just me. Um, I'm just the one having the conversation with you right now, but you've sounds like you've done analysis like this on basically everyone that you play in a league with. And, and what would be great is to, uh, you know, for people to walk away thinking about, man, where, like, where are those margins, um, within each of my leagues? And especially if I kind of encapsulate one, um, you know, one of the managers in my leagues, where can I gain an advantage beyond just kind of roster build, you know, subjective things like value, um, things like that, where in, you know, rather than, um, you know, waking up to good cards, 
how can I exploit uh, the player himself with, you know, even with rags? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, so with you, I'll just, I'll break you down for a second, if that's okay. <laughs> sure. Um, yes. I've only been in a league with you for six months or so. So I don't, I mean, I hear you on, on the podcast airwaves and I learn information there, but I've got a little bit of transaction history on you now. And so the first thing I did when I joined uh, Trade Addicts is I pulled up the transaction history for every single one of my league mates. And I started charting how much you spend on different assets uh, through the blind bidding process. And I figured out sort of a template of how you operate through waivers and through free agency pickups, mm -hmm. which is super helpful because I know where the bottom third of your roster is going to be at any given time in the year because it does shift a little bit. I also know how much you spend so I can outbid you whenever I want to. So I know your low water mark is $2, your middle tier is 12, and your upper tier is 80. So if I bid $81 over the past three years, that would beat you on literally any asset you were bidding on. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we all have those tendencies. And so if you're to sort of analyze this as you know the listener, maybe start with yourself. Just build a profile on how, how do you act? How do you bid on waivers? Who are you getting? Are you yeah. getting backup quarterbacks? Are you getting them because you're needing to start them? Are you spending on wide receivers that maybe don't matter? Look at the wide receivers you bid on last year, if you, if you bid on any. Build a template of how much you spent on those and figure out how many starts did you get out of those dollars spent? Did you get any starts at all? Were you playing keep away? Was it effective? Try to analyze the why behind what it is you were doing and quantify what it is you could do to better maximize those blind bidding dollars. Um, whether that be bidding one more than the super flex dude or, <laughs> or not, you know, like you, you have a lot of control over your own actions by looking at what other people are doing. I also saw that you were taking a lot of two for one trades. So you were getting the two um, and offering the one, and that was building out reasonable depth for you but your starting lineup was actually hurt by it. You lost about a win and a half over the last two years in these two for one deals. I know you're going to call me <laughs> bad names because I'm, I'm looking at this analytically, <laughs> but that stuff matters to me because I know that I can fleece you in these two for one deals and buy a few wins if I need to over the course of the next couple of years. I am not getting fleeced by a numbers, but I'll tell you that right <laughs> yeah. now. That's not, <laughs> that's not, no, I'm just, it, yeah, it, it that's, that's interesting to me. I mean, I won't call it, I won't call it compelling just because I, I again, it sounds like we're kind of talking about averages like um, this lineup versus this lineup on average is going to win, you know, 1.5 more games. Um, and, and that, I mean, I already just have a hard time with averages anyways, because what that actually means is it happens roughly half the time. <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's kind of the, the over simplistic version of, of what an average is. But um, I mean, that is, the, that is something to, to consider. But what I'm curious about on that though, is how much hindsight goes into that? Like um, how many, how much of it is, Oh, that, you know, what ultimately ended up happening is it cost you some wins. Is it, is, it was, is it something that I could have seen coming or is it something that just kind of 
happened to me? And now that's part of my profile. Fantastic question. Um, so there's a lot of noise in fantasy football. Um, we can have a lot of great intentions. We can do the best practice moves and it doesn't turn out the right way. We have so little information. This is a game of variance. We've heard all of these types of things from the numbers, butts, myself included. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a ton of noise. There's a ton of things that just don't really produce the type of signal that is actionable. But when we're playing in a game where you're trying to get a one out of 12 outcome, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find small edges. If I can have a 53% to 47% edge over you by doing this, I'm going to take it. I just made those numbers up. It does, I didn't gain a 3% edge on you. Mm -hmm. But that's the type of small gains that can start to add up. Um, what I want to do is push you into a rebuild. That's my ultimate goal is to make you give up because <laughs> you could get lucky if you're not giving up, if you're sticking with this, right? But if you give up, there's very little chance that you are going to contend in the playoffs with me. And if you do, it's because someone else fell off dramatically, right? So what I'm trying to do is influence the decisions that you make by gaining these tiny edges. Yeah. What else? Have you, have you found anything else on on me in particular that, um, you know, the, the type of thing, you know, like if we were going to, if we were going to write out kind of a to-do list, kind mm -hmm. of a checklist for each person, all right, you know, put this checklist up against each manager in your league. These are the things we want to look at. Mm -hmm. And it's, it sounds like it's waivers. It sounds like it's trades. I would imagine it's also, uh, you know, things like rookie picks. What else goes into that? Yeah. So you specifically are fantastic at drafting second, third, and fourth round running backs. I know this because I've seen it. You're really good at it. Um, and so what I would do if I were playing in a bunch of leagues against you is I would trade right in front of you two or three picks before you're scheduled to pick in the second and third round and grab <laughs> those running backs. Because good I too idea. am pretty good at trying to figure out those, those running backs. I don't draft them. I trade for them later. Um, but I've, I've got a different numbers, but spreadsheet where I'm tracking <laughs> who I would draft. Um, Please tell me own. you named it that. <laughs> I haven't. I will though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I want to turn your strengths into weaknesses too. I want to get in front of the opportunities that you've created where you're really good at something. I, mm -hmm. I want to attack those as well. I don't want to let those things fall to you. I don't want to let you build on a strength that you have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the problem is the reason that it that it works so well is, um, you know, just the the belief ends up manifesting into reality here that every running back at some point does something, you know. So <laughs> yeah. like, so so I'm just gathering running backs, and you know, if they don't do something for me year one. So, and just wait a little bit there. They will eventually They're Every single one of them is going to get on the field. Uh, but this also sounds like a, uh, um, a good time to plant the flag on Deuce Vaughn. That's, that's, uh, that's been the guy I've been ending up with the most in kind of the, it, like, it's a little bit of a reach, but I've been getting him in the second round and sounds like I might be onto something with those guys. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to bet against you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. See, uh, uh, that one feels good. That one feels good to hear. Uh, the fab stuff, not so much. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Um, man, so can we make it just a quick announcement before we get into questions here about yeah. what this upcoming season is going to look like here on the Superflex Super Show? Can we make this official? Is that all let's right? Do it. Yeah, let's right. do it. So all of this analysis, all of this, you know, the the talk of roster management, obviously it changes somewhat in season, but there's still there's still a ton of process. Um, and, you know, Tommy's process is going to live right here on the Superflex Super Show through the 2023 season. And I'm so excited about that. Our standard operating procedures are still going to look the same, but then we also have just kind of that that added twist uh, to the analysis by having Tommy here. He's going to be my co-host throughout the season, and uh, um, we'll see what happens from there. But um, I'm excited about this, man. Like, I think that it's going to be super useful to have two, you know, really kind of really honestly very different. As much as you and I think a lot alike on a lot of things, we have a very different process. Mine is very just kind of like, you know, blindfold feel around in the dark type of, of process. And, you know, I, I, I there's, it's not quite that, <laughs> like that. Uh, um, there's, there's, there's a lot more craft and a lot more gracefulness to it than that. But, you know, it's, it's not, it's not always based on, uh, it doesn't always have that analytical basis, that statistical basis. I would, um, but, I would say it's like an artist and an engineer working together to find yeah. a common solution. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the combination of the two kind of gives you an owner's manual for your dynasty or even redraft roster in Superflex leagues through the entire season. So that's going to be a lot of fun, I think. And I think that uh, um, I, I'm looking forward to learning some new things about uh, roster management in season, learning that from you. So that's going to be a lot of fun, man. So I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, this will be my first time really in front of a mic um, consistently. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. I think it's going to be a, a blast. Uh, I know that the dynasty, the dynasty season for all of us can be kind of a grind, right? Like we're in week seven and it's just the waivers suck and there's not really much to talk about, it seems like. But that's when you and I can fall back on some of the discussions about game theory and about understanding what it's like to push for a, a playoff berth when you're somewhere in the middle and how we can accomplish that, how we can take advantage of biases from our league mates and, you know, what, what backup running backs we need to do. We need to get through that as well, for sure. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Peeking around corners and finding some next week, this week guys and yeah. all kinds of good stuff. So yeah, uh, we're looking forward to that, but it also means that we can kind of, uh, hold off on on some of our strategy talk because we're going to have plenty of opportunities uh, to talk about that in season but let's get to some of these these uh listener questions real quick and i actually want to start with you brought one uh from uh that you got in dms um Let's see. It's basically, uh, should I be trying to tear up at wide receiver? 
um, get one top 12 guy or um, one to two top 24 guys. And if there's some added context that you want to throw in there as well. Um, but I, it sounds essentially like, um, you know, you've, you've got, if you've got two guy, two kind of wide receiver twos, are you packaging them into a wide receiver one? Yeah. And I think this is sort of an evergreen conversation. Um, and of yep. course there are some league settings and starting formats, um, that would certainly tilt the scales one way or the other, but let's just talk about this from like a fairly general sense in terms of, um, starting lineups and scoring settings and things like that. Um, so the first thing I did was go to, um, the, league scoring for all of my leagues over the past four years. And I aggregated them into sort of a, a rolling average and tried to figure out what is the advantage of having the wide receiver one or a top 12 wide receiver or a top 24 wide receiver, because ultimately what it comes down to is if you have these assets, hopefully you're starting them right every single week. Hopefully if you have the wide receiver 17, you don't have a whole bunch of quote unquote wide receiver 17s um, to where you're trying to guess which one you're going to start. Hopefully you've got one and you're starting him in that wide receiver two or three spot. So the wide receiver one in a typical PPR league, um, weeks one through 14, is going to give you almost two wins, 1.8 wins over the course of a season. The wide receiver six, about a win. Um, the wide receiver 12, a little bit less than a win. Uh, wide receiver 18 and 24, about half a win. So we can see that there's a distinct advantage to being at the very top of the wide receiver rankings from a point scoring and a warp perspective. So if you're to trade the wide receiver 18 and 24, you're trading essentially one win to get up to the wide receiver six, let's say, a mid-tier wide receiver one. You've broken even from a warp perspective. What you've done, though, is you've opened up a spot on your starting lineup. And so you have an opportunity to get another difference maker to put them in there or just to play truly a waiver wire roster fodder type player. So you've consolidated into one player who's a top six wide receiver and you've put somebody else, um, you know, a Kendrick Bourne type of player in a wide receiver slot giving yourself the opportunity, A, to have Kendrick Bourne hit and actually provide some form of value, or B, small tear-up opportunities throughout the season where you can take someone who's essentially useless, like a Kendrick Bourne, and slowly package them with running backs who have found themselves in opportune situations until you reach a level similar to what you were getting before in that very flat uh, wide receiver 24 type space where you're getting about half of a win. Man, I I yeah, I really like this and this this is what I'm talking about. Like we've got different processes. You you kind of come at it from the warp, you know, the wins over replacement perspective. Um I'm thinking about it more in terms of what happens on a weekly basis to these players. And I feel like like what we've seen with wide receivers is just kind of generally speaking most of them, they're like Mike Evans is just kind of the microcosm of wide receivers. And people don't realize that people kind of pick on Mike Evans for being inconsistent. 
But the reality is this, this is really kind of what happens to wide receivers. It's just not quite as extreme as it is with Mike Evans. It's not like 40 point games and zero point games for everybody, but it's, it's, it's very similar, you know, about half the season, you get a wide receiver one to a, um, you know, high end wide receiver two type of week from whoever it is, you know, it, and, and people don't want to admit it, but Justin Jefferson is going to fit right into that in 2023 as well. He was super consistent in 2022. That's what made him a difference maker. And that doesn't happen in consecutive seasons to wide receivers. But what does happen is, you know, roughly half the season, maybe a little more, a little less, you're going to get those wide receiver one type of weeks you know, those top 12, top, you know, 15 type weeks. And then the other half, you're going to get like wide receiver three, wide receiver four weeks. Like that happens to all of them. You know, that happened to Jamar Chase. There were weeks where, you know, you were just like, what what the hell? Like, was he hurt? Where was this guy? T Higgins just went off. Joe Burrow had a nice game. Jamar Chase caught like two passes. And then what did he do the rest of the time, <laughs> the rest of the game? So, you know, to me, like that's, I kind of look at it just, I try and compartmentalize each week the best I can and just kind of say, right. So, like, rather than, like I said, averages drive me nuts because of this, but like, rather than just kind of averaging what they did and saying, all right, so that's what Jamar Chase did in those down weeks. He was still, you know, like, this is what you, would have expected from him. Instead, you say, all right, what actually happened each week with this player? And you're going to see very similar game logs for most wide receivers. So, like, that's kind of the way I, I approach the position. And that's where I always come to the conclusion there is no reason to bench a healthy wide receiver. But the better that wide receiver is, and the more consistent that wide receiver is, uh, that's kind of where that value comes from. People want to talk about upside. There's not really a whole lot of upside to a wide receiver. <laughs> it's more about how likely are they to get somewhere in between their floor and their ceiling and how often are they going to do that? And the, the better the wide receiver, the more consistency you're going to get, the more times you're going to hit the floor uh, at the very least, if not, you know, get close to the ceiling and, you know, and, and it just kind of makes it that much easier to just rubber stamp start that guy. So that's the thing with Jamar Chase is it's not that he was it, – it's not that he was just going out and, you know, consistently outscoring everybody at the position. It's not even that he was just every single week hitting his floor. That wasn't even happening. What did happen, though, is – he, you, you felt more comfortable just kind of leaving him in your lineup as opposed to, uh, you know, a Debo Samuel or, uh, even Devonta Smith for most of the season. People, man, people talk a lot about Devonta Smith because of the way he finished the season, but look at the consistency early in the season. It was just, it was, it, it was just like any other wide receiver. So you yeah, just kind of, Yeah. So you just kind of felt better with Jamar Chase. It was just kind of safer to leave Jamar Chase in your lineup and just say, you know what, if he gives me a down game, 
that's okay because the probability is that if he does it, my other wide receiver is going to have, you know, a reasonable enough game. So like, anyways, that like, that's kind of, you know, where my process takes me at the wide receiver position. So it's a little bit different, but we come to the same conclusion, which is anytime you can upgrade and turn two wide receivers into one, like that's always the move because number one, you're going to feel, you know, it, it's going to feel more acceptable for you to just rubber stamp, start that player every week. And number two, like you said, you kind of open up a, a spot on the roster on the, in the lineup in particular where you can really kind of make up the difference on those weeks where he doesn't give you, you know, what what you're kind of looking for from that particular player. Here's what I'm not advocating for, though, is tearing up from the wide receiver 30 to the wide receiver 22. It doesn't do yeah. anything but make you feel better about the name you have on your roster. So if I were to offer a piece of advice to anybody looking to tear up specifically at wide receiver is take a look at the redraft rankings because those are still the ADP for redraft is still somewhat predictive toward um, potential production and really build your barrier right around wide receiver 16. If you're going to tear up, you need to be somewhere in those top 16 wide receivers for this two for one. Otherwise, you're just getting a prettier name on your roster, and you're really not doing anything meaningful with your time tearing up from wide receiver 24 to 19. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. So, like, what what is kind of the is is there a little bit of a formula that that we could make this actionable? Um, you know, kind of like. You know, because obviously it's going to depend a little bit on the two wide receivers that you're packaging. Um, But, you know, like people are going to kind of wonder what's the cutoff. And I mean, the easy answer that I always give is, I mean, start with Justin Jefferson and work your way down. But like, um, you know, where do you stop? That's kind of the question. Well, I think that there's a natural diversion point, right? What we're saying it be it only pertaining to the wide receiver position is not necessarily the only scope that we should look at. I think that there are a lot of exit ramps in those teens of the wide receiver rankings to where you could get better production from tight end. You could get better production potentially from quarterback to where you shouldn't necessarily only be viewing the package up opportunities um, for two wide receivers for one in that top 12 or 16 range. I think that there are opportunities to look at, you know, the wide receiver 22 and the wide receiver 19 and try to get Mark Andrews. You know, let's let's look at these other positions where we can start to run up the score in in meaningful ways, in ways where those warp curves, the the availability of points is so much steeper at the top than wide receiver. Wide receivers are a means to an end. I have no problem existing on the back end of the wide receiver uh, dead zone, if you will, the wide receiver ether, the, the ugly parts of the wide receiver space or existing at the very top where Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase live. The, yeah. the middle doesn't really excite me in any meaningful way. Yeah, definitely. I don't, man, I don't know. 
I'll be like beyond Jeff Jefferson and Chase. I don't get particularly excited about anyone like it, from wide receiver three down, basically. Like, uh, I like I I feel just as comfortable with Deontay Johnson as AJ Brown. You know. Yes it, and no. I mean, if you think about it, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, if he's cleared of these potential legal issues, they're really interesting uh, opportunities to to put an elite receiver behind a Jefferson or a Chase. So if you've mm-hmm. spent big on Justin Jefferson, right, your expectation is 1,800 yards and 10 touchdowns, whatever. Behind that is an opportunity to leverage the wide receiver two position in your starting lineup in a super meaningful way, because you've already dominated your league at the wide receiver one position. And so now is a really interesting opportunity to double down at the wide receiver two position, because in theory, other people in your league don't have two top 12 wide receivers in those two spots. So if you're able to add in one of these older wide receivers, you have an opportunity to leverage, yes, Devontae Adams, but really to further leverage Justin Jefferson. Yeah, definitely true. Um, sh- let's, 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 I'm trying to decide which one we want to go through next. At some point, we've got to answer Peter Howard's. <laughs> stuff. So what's, what's funny is like, he, let's just, let's, let's go to Peter Howard here because like, I mean, he, he throws in some crap about Lamar Jackson being handsome and like, just, just these, these little like non sequiturs, uh, this week it's why, how, who, wherefore, you know, those are some of the questions. Um, but then like, he's, he also sneaks in some really good, really useful questions and, uh, For one thing, this is, uh, you know, let's get the the ones out of the way where he's just he's talking about specific names and names of football players, not fantasy analysts. Um, We can we'll get to that later as well. But um, like to me, well, part of it is Christian Watson sucks is the question. Um, I think that uh, he he didn't like my answer on Justin Jefferson uh, having more upside than Christian Watson. I'm, I'm seriously paraphrasing this um, and, and just completely misrepresenting his side of this. So last week he asked me about Justin Jefferson, why I hate Justin Jefferson. I ended up bringing up Christian Watson. Somebody had already done that. I don't even remember who it was. Somebody tweeted that he's got more upside than Justin Jefferson. So I said, that's why I hate Justin Jefferson. He doesn't have as much upside as Christian Watson, and I think Christian Watson sucks. So, like, like just kind of, you know, from there, the next logical step in our logic chain is Justin Jefferson sucks even worse than Christian Watson. So, um, and I think that that, that uh, just kind of started a whole other conversation. So, um I feel like I've made, I've gotten my point across on this a little bit. I'm curious where you stand on this though. Does Christian Watson suck? So I did think about this, Peter, and I am going to try to give you a legitimate answer. Um, (laughs) Christian Watson sucks at returning trade value. 
He mm. is a terrible trade asset right now. I looked through some some recent trades. Desmond Ritter and Christian Watson for a random 24 first. Christian Watson for Deontay Johnson. Um, I love Deontay Johnson, but like you're not cashing in on anything there. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Watson in a third for a first. Like He's not returning anything right now. He's not helpful to getting a deal done that actually means anything. You're just kind of spinning your wheels getting him. And so I was thinking that there may be a, a bit of a antsiness on behalf of the Christian Watson owner. And so if you are a believer, I mean, he's got an incredible athletic profile. He showed some interesting things in a small sample set. Like if you are into this guy, I think there's a really distinct buy window to where you can get a deal done if you're willing to bet on some degree of upside, because the deals that I'm seeing are not inspiring to me. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I, and I would imagine that most of those trades uh, that you're, that you're finding there, I think those are probably uh, like, I think that there was probably an offer that expected something quite a bit more for Christian Watson. And then this was negotiated down to what ultimately got done. Um, that would be my guess. And, and I think that, you know, the, the big thing that people are running into with Christian Watson, it's not even about Christian Watson himself necessarily. It's a little bit, but it starts with Jordan Love and just the fact that we have no idea what we're about to get in terms of quarterback play. We have no idea what we're about to get in terms of being able to support a fantasy producer. And, you know, when we when we see these quarterbacks who are very unproven, uh, they they ultimately end up supporting basically one pass catcher most of the time. And, you know, what are the odds that it's going to be the guy with the, the lowest, you know, uh, the, the lowest opportunity share of the of the potential options? Um, and, you know, they're they're definitely going to be people who say, well, he doesn't have Alan Lazard in the way. The nice thing about this is that's an argument that Peter Howard absolutely hates. So we can satisfy him pretty easily by saying the, 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 the opportunity share doesn't change because of changes in personnel. Um, it, it's just about like Christian Watson commanded the targets that he typically commands based on his ability level. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's that part's not likely to change. You know, the one the one variable that could change this a little bit is Jordan Love. And it's hard to imagine that being, you know, in the plus column for Christian Watson to go from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. So, yeah, it's not that Christian Watson necessarily sucks. Uh, Like you said, his trade value certainly sucks um, because people are pretty nervous about the situation. And I don't know. He kind of sucks. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's the position in general, though. It's going to be increasingly difficult to elevate from where he's currently sitting in whatever ADP or rankings that you trust because the the receiver position is super top-heavy, and it seems to be repeating year over year at a pretty consistent rate now. So even if he's good – all it does is 
dilute the wide receiver pool a little bit further and make it matter a little bit less because other people have Cooper Cup and these other mm-hmm. players that are also making a difference. So I don't know. I think it's just a general apathy toward the wide receiver market that we're both feeling right now. Yeah, that's so true. Like, like I, I for a while there, I was kind of talking about some sleeper wide receivers, you know, Tim Patrick to me, Trent Sherfield, Juwan Jennings is a little bit of a, of a sleeper type of wide receiver, but I, I just started thinking about it after I had just recorded a solo episode where I was kind of talking about sleeper wide receivers. And I was like, do wider, do sleeper wide receivers really exist? And if they do, do they, does it matter? I, and I, the answer to the first one is kind of, the answer to the second one is absolutely not like there's gonna <laughs> like even if I'm right about this, even if, you know, Trent Sherfield ends up being the, you know, the, the wide receiver two and kind of the target hog in Buffalo, um, especially if they move on from Stefan Diggs and all of a sudden, you know, Sherfield is kind of your, your, uh, your move the chains guy, you know, kind of your slot guy. Um, and not the not the field stretcher like you already have with you know Davis and and uh, I, I I just lost it. McKenzie Isaiah McKenzie, you know even if I'm right about this, I'm okay with not having any Trent Sherfield in any league and totally missing out on this this breakout on this, you know, this sleeper making good story. Like I'm fine with that because I have a million different ways to replace that scoring. And it's guys who aren't, you know, I'm not counting on them to do something that they're not expected to do. (laughs) There are plenty of guys who are just going to do what they do. And I can, I can get those guys just as easily. Here's where here's where Trent Sherfield matters to me is if I'm in a format where let's say I have to start three wide receivers and two or three flexes and super flex, you know, where wide receivers tend to matter. And I am really on the very edge of reasonability in my roster ship, <laughs> where if I have literally three or four wide receivers and then I can bet on a Trent Sherfield or any of the hundred other receivers that are representative of his profile, because I may start him if he hits, because I don't have this, you know, deluge of, of wide receivers. I don't have 11 wide receivers. You know, if you have 11, you're never, ever, ever going to start Trent Sherfield. If you have five in a start three wide receiver format, you might. And if he hits, then it's meaningful points for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. You know, kind of one of the other things that, uh, well, we, we might need to to uh, table some of this stuff. Like there's yeah. a ton of, there's so much strategy that we could be talking about. Um, but we've, we still have some other questions we want to answer here. So um, continuing on with uh, the position that we don't really care too much about the names other than, you know, kind of the very top end and then some, um, you know, our arbitrage type of guys, it, it, like that's my approach. And it kind of sounds like it is for you as well. Um, you know, where the, where the, where there's kind of a, uh, an imperfect market, that's where, that's what we're attacking. Um, which is why I always bring up Deontay Johnson. He's, mm-hmm. he's 
he's severely undervalued right now, um, considering he does the same thing as, you know, most of the guys that people are in love with. Um, Brandon Ayuk. So this is this is another Peter Howard one. Is he a post-hype sleeper? I want to hear your thoughts on this one first. <laughs> uh, I mean, my first thought is I don't care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's my overwhelming sentiment, just to be clear. Um, but uh, I mean, no, I don't. I don't really think so. I think that. You know, the the way this offense is built. Well, okay, so I here's here's something else I've been thinking a lot about. Um, and this is a trap I fall into. You know, the question of what do I want to happen versus what do I think will happen? And sometimes what I want to happen kind of sneaks into my analysis, and I really have to work hard to try and keep that out and think about, all right, what's actually likely to happen here? What I want to happen in San Francisco is for them to acknowledge that Brock Purdy is the best option for them, kind of regardless of how he starts, regardless of, of uh, you know, how long it takes him to recover from this injury. Re- no matter what, the, the reality with Brock Purdy is he's a facilitator. You know, he's, he's kind of a, he's, he's just like a conductor a little bit. Like he's, he distributes the ball to your, you know, to your pass catchers, to your ball carriers, um, to your more talented, more skilled guys like Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and, you know, Brandon Ayuk to a certain extent. And like I said, Juwan Jennings is another kind of sleeper type of guy for me, but all of this is dependent on, Brock Purdy being the quarterback because he's the one who actually gets rid of the ball and actually distributes it to all these guys who are better at carrying the ball than any quarterback is. Trey Lance, as good as he is as a ball carrier, he's not a better, he doesn't have better ball skills than Christian McCaffrey. So if you've got him at quarterback, he's a freaking bottleneck. And that's the worst thing for this offense. Trey Lance upgrades a lot of teams at the quarterback position around this league. The one team where he makes zero sense is in San Francisco. But the most likely scenario is Brock Purdy. Maybe he isn't healthy. Maybe he struggles uh, with some ineffectiveness and he's got a very short leash and we're going to see Trey Lance. That's the most likely scenario. And when that happens, everybody's opportunities drop. Because, like I said, the guy's just a bottleneck. That's that's kind of his style of play, and that's what they wanted when they drafted him. So, you know, based on that, I mean, I think that we're already talking about pretty thin margins for Brandon Ayuk. And then once you get Trey Lance in there, it's just kind of like, like Christian McCaffrey, Trey Lance himself, and nobody else is startable at that point. That's that's kind of my feeling on it, and then you know it it's it's just it's just overcrowded there. So you know, and and they have players that are much higher priority for them, just based on style of play, abilities with the ball in their hands, things like that. So yeah, I like I think that this is a lot of Debo Samuel, a lot of Christian McCaffrey, a lot of George Kittle, and 
not a whole lot of, le- of meat on the bone left, especially when you change to the run first quarterback. Yeah, this situation reminds me a lot of the early 2000 Jets with Chad Pennington, um, Lavernius Coles, Santana Moss. This feels a lot like that to me. Um, it's before he had all those shoulder surgeries. Um, so Pennington could still sling it. We'll see about Purdy. Um, yeah, there are a lot of weapons here. Um, I'm not going to bet against the offense. What I'm betting against is the fact that Ayuk hasn't really made a difference so far. His best finish, uh, was his rookie year. He was wide receiver 13. And since then he's been in that middle that we've talked about, uh, all night really, where, it doesn't really matter. And so why would I make a bet on any of these guys? If I have him, I'm looking to get off of him. I'm only looking to buy him if I can get one of those arbitrage type deals. Because let's say he hits. He's a first round pick. They could potentially keep him for a fifth year, but he's probably out the door if he does really well. And I don't want to buy the risk that he ends up in some terrible situation after he finally pays off. It just feels like a bet that isn't really worth taking because there are so many other opportunities to get the same points and the same potential at lower value. Yeah, that that makes sense too, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like I, yeah, I think we're on the same page. It, and like the thing is, like there's still value. Like if you have Brandon Ayuk on your roster. Like there's value in that, you know, like you said, like he's, he's just kind of one of those, one of many, many guys with, you know, some, a little bit of opportunity, a little bit of, of weekly upside. Like it's, it's just, I'm not going to go out of my way to prioritize him just because, yeah, there's a possibility that he, you know, that we get that, you know, what would it be at this point? Year three, year four breakout. So you know, yeah. Um, let me see this. I, I traded away Ayuk a few days ago. Let me see what you think about this. Okay. Um, Ayuk for uh, J.K. Dobbins and Elijah Mitchell. Well, I love Dobbins. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but, and I also love turning wide receiver depth into running backs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like this is. This is a slam dunk for me. Like I would, I would, I would consider Ayuk just for Mitchell. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's too far, man. That's how it's that's how how extreme it gets for me at wide receiver. I just feel like I can find, I can find a replacement at uh, at wide receiver. What I can't find is a running back who would have the type of opportunity that Elijah Mitchell would have if Christian McCaffrey in, in, you know, his sixth season were to go down with an injury. Yep. So, yeah, like I, I, I think that, you know, it, and this is something that we need to talk about at some point too, not on this episode, we're not going to have time, but this is something that we need to get to, which is just kind of the concept of value. And the fact that ultimately I probably do have to defer to consensus value a little bit, even though I think it's just kind of flawed, um, severely, severely flawed. Uh, and I, but I would have to acknowledge that I'm giving up too much quote unquote value for Brandon. Yeah. Uh, giving up Brandon Ayuk for Elijah Mitchell, but, um, 
I, like it would be close enough. I think that if you added in a little bit of sweetener with Elijah Mitchell, done deal, you know? So that's interesting. Yeah. Let's put a pin in the value uh, conversation yeah. because I think we could do a whole episode on that. So yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We'll do, we'll do that at some point too. Um, all right. So, but here's what I mean with Peter Howard. There's some, some really, really good stuff in here. Um, once he gets past all the backhanded bullshit, we get to uh, the one move you'd try to make if you only had one league. I freaking love that question. And that's the thing. Peter Howard thinks in a way that just nobody else does. And uh, to me, that's just like, that's that's a brilliant question um, from somebody who tries to convince us that he's not brilliant. <laughs> So I was talking about Peter Howard to my wife today yeah. and I showed her the questions that we had for tonight's ask me anything. And she said, are you sure he's a genius? I said, yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. He's a, he's a mad genius for sure. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's like any other genius though. It's like, it's, it, it there, there are kind of some layers that you have to get past. And then you're like, <laughs> wait a minute. Like he was just pretending with the rest of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we were going to dig deeper into the why tonight, um, but we can <laughs> talk about, we can talk about this question too. <laughs> All right. So if there was one league, which player would I have to have on my teams? Um, so personal bias, I am a Jaguars fan. Mm. Um and when I was in fewer leagues, I made sure I had Trevor Lawrence on all of my teams because I have been suffering for far too long as a Jaguars fan since 1995 to not have our first good quarterback in like 30 years. I was not going to let that happen. Since I've joined more leagues, I've become a little bit more callous and cold and calculated and heartless. Um, and so I would, I would pursue Mark Andrews right now. Um, in today's uh, roster ship where I have 18 leagues because I think that he's going to make a difference over the next three years. I think that he is going to propel me to more than one championship across all of my leagues. And I want to have as much opportunity to experience the joy that is Mark Andrews over the next three years. Yeah. And he's, he's going to make a, a difference. He's also going to make a bigger difference than Trevor Lawrence, even, you know, yep. in which, you know, we're on the same page with Trevor Lawrence. Um, I had a, a trade from uh, from just some numbers, but in uh, Trade Addict 6, <laughs> asking for Trevor Lawrence and, and offering me Kyler Murray and Kirk Cousins, which, like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even respond to, like, that one just kind of, I just kind of locked up. I just kind of <laughs> seized up. I'm like, oh my God, like, what do I do here? I don't want to accept this, but I also don't want to decline it because that's awfully freaking good, right? Yep. But ultimately, for me, I, and like I think it just it probably expired uh, within the last like ten minutes, um, which is something that I another thing that I do way too often. I say, all right, I'm going to think about this trade, and then I kind of forget that it exists. And then revisit it, and I'm like, I haven't thought about this nearly enough. I need to keep thinking about it. And then it just expires, and everyone thinks I'm an asshole. So, like, but 
that one was it was seriously tough for me and ultimately i think i would have declined anyways just because i do think that trevor lawrence I, he makes more sense for my roster in that league i also just think that he's one of the one of the guys who has an opportunity this season to break out in a big big way mm-hmm. yeah um i wanted to put your qbx strategy to the test i'm trying to find the limits of where you believe in this, where the rubber meets the road, and what types of assets, whether it's the quote-unquote value or the production or the perception of these players, what what is QBX from an actual nuts and bolts standpoint in a specific league? And so when I constructed yeah. that offer, it was to put you to the test. I, I wanted to gather information because if you accept, I get my favorite quarterback and probably hurt myself in terms of how I'm building a roster in that league, but I can root for the guy that I love. But if you decline, then I have a little bit more information on you. You should constantly test the electric fence, so to speak, like in Jurassic Park, of your league mates. You should see what they actually believe. They say things, but what do they do? Yeah. So it was actually the right move of me to just let it expire. I I didn't make any definitive statement either way. So, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, you just look at my roster and uh, Travis Etienne, by the way, is available in that league. No, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's, it's a bunch of, you know, it's, it's a very SFD roster build in terms of the quarterback or the, the running back group for sure. Quarterback is borderline qbx right now and this move would have got me there it would have got me to my five starting quarterbacks uh but uh the you know the running backs it's a bunch of kind of no name type of guys uh some some guys who have gained a little bit of value some guys who have lost a little bit of value and then but then the wide receivers are just awful right now <laughs> like i think my wide receiver one is probably donovan people's jones and i'm i don't feel nearly as bad about that as most people would but that's still that's that's not ideal no. um marquez Valdez scantling like it's 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 not a great group of wide receivers right at the moment uh i had to trade them all away to get these quarterbacks yep um and then the tight end position is kind of meh. It's like it's it's fine, but it, it you know it looks pretty similar to most dynasty rosters at the tight end position. Um, but ultimately, like this team is still kind of in rebuild mode, and you know as much as, um, you know as as much as Kyler Murray could have very similar upside to Trevor Lawrence, it's still at the end of the day bringing on Kirk Cousins actually kind of hurts my cause because now all of a sudden I have to really ramp things up to take advantage of the window that I have with him. Whereas with Trevor Lawrence, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, I've got all the time, all the runway in the world here to build the rest of this roster up. And those guys are going to maintain their value and they're going to maintain their production long enough that I can, I can take as long as it takes to build this thing up. Um, and as long as it takes for J Mike's team to finally suck, if that ever happens. So <laughs> that's interesting. But, I, I enjoy hearing your perspective on that because I am new to this league and 
you're you're exhibiting more patience than I am. And I commend that because I am not willing to bow down to J. Mike and his glorious <laughs> roster. It just means there's fewer assets out there who are going to make a difference. And so if I can get my hands on a few of them, then I, I'm going to make the playoffs. I want to make the playoffs in every league that I'm in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, at some point, like the there there are going to be some weaknesses on J Mike's roster. Um, yep. you know, when it comes to like some injuries are gonna hit. Uh it, you know, things like that. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts doesn't have the season the type of season that he had in twenty twenty two. Like, you know, things like that are gonna happen that makes him vulnerable enough that somebody might be able to sneak in and win a championship. And you definitely wanna be there. Uh, you know, and have a shot at that, but I'm just so far off that it just kind of makes sense for me to just kind of do like a, a basically just kind of freeze yep. right now, you know, and and uh build up the, the quarterback position and then and then I can you know unfreeze once quarterback is completely set. Um, that makes a ton of sense, it really does, yeah. So, but anyways, you know, back to the original point, as much as I like, as much as I love Trevor Lawrence, this, this upcoming season, I do acknowledge that even if he breaks out the way we think that he will, like, is he going to have a Peyton Manning, you know, 2013 type of season, 55 touchdowns, 5,000, whatever yards, like, Probably not. And that's what it would take for him to make a massive difference over the rest of the quarterback position. Exactly. And yep. whereas Mark Andrews, I mean, what does he have to do? Catch like a hundred balls <laughs> to make <laughs> like a massive difference over the rest of the tight end position. Oh, it's so sad, isn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> and and not only that, but so my answer to this question would probably be. Uh, it, it it would be a running back. I don't even know that I would necessarily single out a name. Um, if I was going to do it, it's probably J.K. Dobbins, just based on value. Um, you know, and the discrepancy between uh his his scoring poten- potential and his value right now. Um, but you know, like any any running back who you know fits the mold of a potential running back one overall type of season whether it's Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb you know or uh, possibly Bijan Robinson I'm I wouldn't count on it Saquon Barkley is still a guy you know kind of a, a post SFD hype type of sleep I he had he was fine last season but that he didn't hit that ceiling which means it's still there for him to get to so you know like one of those guys because all they have to do where Mark Andrews, he like, he still has to, he has to stay healthy. He, he has to catch X number of passes, you know, probably um, go a little bit beyond his, uh, his projections in terms of touchdown rate, like, you know, things like that. The running backs got all they have to do is stay healthy <laughs> for the entire season to make just like a massive difference against the rest of the position typically speaking so it's like that's the move like where can you get an unfair advantage and it's two positions it's running back and it's tight end yep 
So yeah, that's that's the one move I'm making. I'm trying to find the running back one overall for the season. And honestly, I'm doing that in all my leagues, regardless of how many leagues I have. The era of quarterbacks you're chasing you're chasing was trash. <laughs> and somehow he made that into a question. So we're right back to mad genius. How did he make this a question? Um, so kind of the, the era that we're talking about, I want to see if you think it, it's trash. So kind of what I, what I hearken back to, obviously we had guys at the very top, right? We had Drew Brees and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. You know, we had those high end guys, Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre, you know, kind of depending on um, where exactly we were, you know, where exactly in time we're, we're looking, but you had these top end guys, but to me, the, the bigger thing, and this is where late round quarterback came from was the fact that it was, it was 32 deep and any one of those guys was, you know, they were going to score similarly enough. And in fact, I mean, you got a 5,000 yard season out of Eli Manning at one point. Um, you know, Matthew Stafford was, was typically there. So like you had just kind of this, this deep roster of quarterbacks that you could choose from. And a lot of people, you know, some of the darlings included Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco, Ben Roethlisberger. There were just a lot more ways to attack the quarterback position without having to trade up for a second pick in the first round to get one of the top end guys which at this point has been has just become such an accepted strategy that to me like it's it's kind of like the contrarian view is to stop doing that completely like be the one to trade out of the first round um i know you don't agree with that part <laughs> cuz it <laughs> it'd be very difficult to pull off your your preferred strategy if you did that but um, just you know, so many people in so many leagues trying to get to two of the elite quarterbacks, and you know, I just, I, I just long for the days where it would have been perfectly acceptable for me to just wait and take, you know, Cam Newton and well, Cam Newton was kind of a top end guy, um, you know, Andrew Luck. Russell Wilson, like those guys were even still like they were young quarterbacks just coming into the league. But yeah, you know, Ben Roethlisberger and Matt Schaub. Yep. And I would have been competitive with those two quarterbacks, you know, and then from there I could have, I could have spent all those early picks, you know, just like JJ Zacharyson talks about with the late round quarterback strategy, all those early picks go to the other positions and I'm still just fine with those two quarterbacks. Yep. But those days are gone because once you get past the top, you know, really the top 12, maybe guys like it turns into big time question marks from then on. I think that we're at a really interesting point, specifically with the quarterback position. I would like to posit that maybe we're at a specific wave of these 27, 28, 29, 30 year old quarterbacks 
where they're going to carry through for the next six or seven years, like the last generation did. Yeah. And we don't have a guarantee that they, they will be backfilled by other young and upcoming studs. We could have a lot of inconsequential quarterbacks, a la Brock Purdy. We could have a lot of Brock Purdy's filling up the quarterback rooms across the league. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily a bad idea for an NFL team to utilize that strategy because they're on a rookie contract. They have essentially no commitment to them. And it creates opportunities to build a team around them that is really competitive. It's an easy access point to competitiveness, to winning a poor division. You can't tell me that the NFC South couldn't be won by a mediocre quarterback because it is going to be won by a mediocre quarterback very likely this year. Mm-hmm. And so if we're to jump off the rails of dynasty and into reject redraft and talk about middle round quarterbacks, I think that's an entirely different conversation. The reason why I value top six quarterbacks is because they are very repeatable year over year over year. Once I address the position, I don't have to, again, for the foreseeable future. When we go into redraft, that's an entirely different story. I could see a renaissance of late round quarterback coming back because when I'm looking at my one QB dynasty leagues that I'm I'm still in because I've built up teams and I don't want to let them go yet, the quarterback position is stupidly overvalued right now. It doesn't make any sense. It's near super flex values for these quarterbacks. People are asking for three firsts for for Patrick Mahomes in a one QB. And that's crazy. That's that's silly. That doesn't make any sense from a roster construction standpoint. So I could see opportunities to dip back into the late round quarterback mentality, even in super flex in redraft leagues. I think there's an edge to be gained there that I want to explore. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it's, it's, it feels like, I mean, JJ himself is kind of, he's on his podcast. He's been kind of talking about the death of the late round quarterback strategy. To me, yep. that's the perfect time to start doing it again. Yes. <laughs> like yes. The, the second everyone starts saying, all right, the, the only way to do this, the only way to do this is to go get those elite quarterbacks trade up into the first round. Even in your even in redraft leagues, you still have to trade up into the first round because you have to have, you know, some combination of, you know, the top eight guys, essentially. And to me, like that's that's the moment where I say, because this is what quarterback extreme is all about, is having, you know, guys that you can that you can reasonably acquire who uh, you know, are, are going to be startable X number of weeks throughout the season. I'm not looking to rubber stamp. I don't want to rubber stamp any of my starters. I'll do it at wide receiver because I don't care about wide receiver. But every other position, I want to be pushing buttons and pulling levers. I want, call me OCD, but I just, I want that control on a weekly basis. And I want, like, that's that's what I'm here to do. I'm I want to play this game. I want to think about, what I'm going to do, not just blindly throw guys into my lineup. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Let me ask you this though, because we had a question about does QBX work in redraft? Do you adjust your numbers downward? Are you willing to take on four quarterbacks in a redraft league? Because when I look at redraft, I automatically think of smaller 
benches, smaller rosters, really. Yep. Um, and so I, I want to know, like, do you have room for five quarterbacks in redraft? Usually not. That's the whole thing. And, and real quick, shout out to my friend Jason for this question. Um, I thought this is a really good question, really interesting, but it does. It comes right. It just kind of comes down to how big is the roster? Um, how much real estate can you can you devote to it? If you've got a dynasty sized roster in a redraft league, hell yeah, I'm going QBX. Like Scott Fishbowl, I I'm if I don't go full QBX, it's going to be close. I'm going to have at least four. Yep. Because that's a what twenty twenty two spot league. I don't even remember exactly, but it's it's a big roster. But you know, for like typical redraft leagues, I think it's more like you know you're st- like just as many bench spots as starters. Yeah, typically. So like, you know, like 16, something like that. I, you, you can't, you have to have backups at the other positions, but what that also means when the rosters are that small is that there will be quarterbacks available on waivers and in free agency. So you just use the waivers as an extension of your roster. You're still doing QBX. You're just kind of doing it the more traditional way. So if you were to give advice to the potential QBXers in redraft, how far up the board do you need to be to roster a quarterback? Um, let's see. That's a good question. You mean like in terms of... Uh, in terms uh, of whatever like your for- redraft rankings would be. So like if you are projecting... Like, are you willing to dip into the 20s for your your final quarterback, your QB4 in redraft? Um, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I mean, I think that they're probably going to be available. That's the big key. Like, the the whole thing with QBX was always, you know, the the guideline was you want your five QBs by the 10th round in a dynasty startup uh, by the end of the 10th round. Uh, and you know, the, the, the reason for it was the quarterback position was a lot stronger and even people who are waiting on quarterbacks, they were getting their two starters by the 10th round. As long as that moves and we're still seeing, you know, Sam Howell and Baker Mayfield go in the, you know, 15th round, which is basically what's happening right now, then QBX can go into the 15th round as well. It's yeah. basically, it, it's not about, you know, make sure you get these guys by this point in the draft. It's just make sure you get those guys. As yeah. long as they're there, you can keep chasing them. So if in this league, this redraft league, nobody else is worrying about, you know, getting a third or fourth quarterback because of the size of rosters, then, yeah, I mean, you can honestly even wait till your very last pick and get your fourth your fourth quarterback and be okay. That's super interesting. One last question for you about this, this redraft uh, question. So I just finished a Scott Fishbowl mock draft. I'm drafting from the 102, and my final pick was Will Levis. Um, just on the off chance that 
he wins some battle or there's an injury or something occurs between now and when waivers would open up again. Have you had any thoughts about drafting um, a final quarterback at the very end of your Scott Fishbowl lineup? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, It, it, I mean, and again, I think it kind of depends on who's there. How's the rest of this league drafting the quarterback position? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, there aren't very many startups or, uh, starters or, you know, like a type backups, even, you know, plus backups that I would, uh, that I wouldn't consider it that last pick. Um, I think that I would still probably prioritize, you know, the roster build that I'm going for overall. And, you know, if, if, if I'm, you know, I'm good with my number of running backs, but there's this one guy who's still available or I can, I can either take Baker Mayfield or I can take, uh, you know, whatever sleeper run Deuce Vaughn, <laughs> like yeah. I'm probably taking Deuce Vaughn at, uh, in all honesty, even though, you know, I think Baker Mayfield is, is, is going to be startable at a quarterback position. He's still going to be on waivers for me. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I, like, yeah, you, you can, I don't think you have to, I guess. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Was there any of that that you would amend in any way? Of the mock draft I did? Um, any of the uh, uh, the analysis on, you know, quarterback extreme, oh. um, especially for your specific strategy, you know, like talking about a redraft league, um, how much yeah. are you going to prioritize, you know, getting the, the high-end quarterbacks? Um, and how many of them would you go for? Yeah, it's super fascinating to me right now. Superflex redraft is is something that I've been sort of like peeking behind the curtain at because I'm I'm not playing redraft right now, but I'm fascinated by the market and trying to play out what it would look like throughout the season given where we're at. So looking at redraft ADP and dynasty ADP, I'm seeing quarterbacks going higher and higher, wide receivers going higher and higher and a lull at running back and tight end. And that seems super appealing to me from a redraft perspective to dig pretty deep into one or even two possibly elite tight ends and just hammering the running back position and taking two (laughs) ugly quarterbacks. It's almost the exact opposite of what I would do because when I think of redraft, I think of a car on fire going 90 miles an hour down a freeway. Like I just need to get to the end destination. I don't care what it looks like when I'm at the end, when I'm in dynasty, it's like, I'm, I'm like cultivating a bonsai, you know, it's totally different with, with redraft. It's an opportunity to get really messy with your roster build and to do it in ways that are unconventional. If people are buying quarterbacks, I'm certainly not in redraft. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that too. Um, yeah. I mean, the nice thing with redraft is you're not stuck with it forever if you do mess up. So, you know, (laughs) like it, it makes a lot more sense to kind of take some shots, but, uh, you know, and, and what's interesting is there's, there's almost like three different formats to talk about. There's dynasty, well, four, because there's keeper, 
Mm-hmm. Um, keeper leagues, there's kind of a different strategy than dynasty. So keeper dynasty redraft and Scott fishbowl. <laughs> so, and, and one of the things that a lot of people, one of the traps, a lot of people fall into is talking about redraft and talking about Scott fishbowl at the same time. They're very, very different. Yeah. The big thing being you can't trade. So sure. in Scott fishbowl, so like value doesn't exist. Um, I saw a tweet from Adam Harstead. He had actually said this a couple years ago, I believe, but um, kind of did like a quote tweet thing on it. But I and I loved it, but I don't know if it's something that I would necessarily agree with, much less chase. But he was essentially saying, um, you know, you're just trying to go for the most valuable roster you can possibly get with winning being kind of a byproduct. Like whatever you win on top of that is great. But the goal is just to, you know, just to put together as much value as possible. And that's a really cool way to think about it. I, 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 I like that part. Again, we, at some point we've got to talk value and what does that yeah. even mean? And what does yeah. it do for you? Um, how do you leverage that? But again, you know, to Scott Fishbowl, I, there are a lot of people who draft that way just thinking in terms of, all right, I want the most value on this roster. And it's like, like that. It's almost like you're just kind of playing solitaire. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like if you can't trade with anyone, who cares that they even exist? That's so good. (laughs) Like (laughs) you play against them obviously every week, but you're really just kind of playing your own game. You're really just kind of, you know, putting together the players that you think make the best lineup because it's not yes. like you can just, you know, like it's not like you can trade from a position of strength um, to correct a position of weakness like yes. you can in most leagues. So in this case, you're really just kind of like just just trying to make the best roster you possibly can in terms of production uh, and you know, everybody else is really just kind of, they're just obstacles in your way. They're not, they're not a vehicle to getting there anymore. Yeah. The Peter Howards of the world should honestly do better than they're doing in this type of a league because (laughs) it's tougher to exploit biases. You're totally right. What's, what's the point of understanding your league mate if you're playing solitaire? That's a, that's a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's what I love about the Scott fish bowl, but like, it's, it's one of those things that people have a really hard time. It, it is, it's, it's difficult. I mean, every other, every other game that we play, every other format, you know, you're, you're thinking about value, even if you're not chasing it, you're still thinking about it, you yeah. know, back to the Brandon Ayuk thing. I would rather have Elijah Mitchell but I know I can't just trade Brandon Ayuk for Elijah Mitchell because value, you know, but in this case, in the Scott fishbowl, I can absolutely make that pick. I can absolutely take Elijah Mitchell over Brandon Ayuk and there's no repercussions that like the, the missed value. That's nothing that doesn't exist here. So you could even uh, drop Brandon Ayuk if Elijah Mitchell beca- or a Elijah Mitchell became available and then watch your league mates spend all their fab. So there, there is a little bit of game theory involved there, but I think you're yeah. absolutely right. I'm going to think on that a little bit more. Yeah, <laughs> that's another thing for us. Good thing that we've got more opportunities to talk because uh, 
<laughs> we've we've got stuff to talk about. Totally. Um, uh, I I guess I better hit this last one from Peter Howard. Uh, even though like we got the we got the the true gems from him. We already did that. Um, in fact, so he labeled he he numbered these one through eight, and then uh, the second number eight is our dynasty outhouse and uh, at for whom J Bell tolls. So Russ Fisher and Jeff Bell are they the same person? Um, <laughs> which, uh, like you, you were saying off air that you liked how I just kind of entertained, uh, each one of these, each of his questions, like just kind of took them at face value, just answered them like they're a serious question. So I, I feel like we should probably do that here. Uh, the problem is I don't have much of an opinion on this. So I'm curious if you do. Well, I would like to point out that For Whom J-Bell Tolls had a absolutely meteoric rise when I was just getting into Dynasty. Mm -hmm. um, and so his story is really a reflection of my like gaining awareness and consciousness of this space. Um, he's got a huge following now too, by the way. Yeah. They, they do kind of look alike. Uh, I'll, I'll give uh, Peter that. And I've never seen either of them on anything but a podcast stream. So I can't speak definitively as to whether or not they're the same person. <laughs> but I will say that Russ gives a lot of the hug emoji or the gif or whatever you want to call it. And I have yeah. yet to see that from four J Bell tolls toward me. So until I see that from him, from Jeff Bell, um, I'm going to assume they're different people. Yeah. I could also make the argument, though, that maybe the Jeff Bell persona was Russ trying to do things completely different. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, he's he's been around as long as I have. We we yeah. both broke in at the same time back in 2017. Yeah, um, he built a he he built a great following uh, as well, you know, in a very short amount of time. And he did it with very sound analysis. Um, but also just kind of this like really likable personality. Yeah. And not to say Jeff isn't likable because he is, but he has a very different presence than Russ, um, in, in, at least in my opinion. And so it, it, the argument could be made that this was just like Russ, you know, started in 2017, just kind of followed this path. And then was like, you know what? Like, I wish I could go back and do it over mm -hmm. and, but do this and like, mm -hmm. you know, threaten to hug people less, for instance. I will and say that if 2017 was Russ's initial breakout and 2020 was uh, Jeff's, we need to keep an eye out for a third iteration because logic <laughs> say that another is coming. <laughs> I hope it's a female this time. Yeah, this is a multiverse situation that we need to keep our eyes on. <laughs> hopefully i didn't just tip uh russ slash jeff's hand for him but uh <laughs> yeah i think that would be really cool um another cool pro plot twist would be that like it was peter howard all along <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> the mad genius just kind of creating new personas as he goes along um one last question quip 
use uh, quip username asked us this one mm-hmm. uh what are your general non-point scoring season goals freaking wow. love this and this is a tough one because of the time like because this this could be a whole episode it could be it's a fantastic question i've been talking to this guy for a few weeks now and this is just one of many fantastic questions i've received um i'm gonna i'm gonna run down a quick list if if you don't mind and maybe you can provide Absolutely. yours and connect some dots yeah. um so i play on mfl and the day after MFL rollover day, I try to be in the positive for whatever the next available year's first round picks are. I try to shed whatever I can to make sure I'm in the positive because first round picks for 2025 or 2026 were never cheaper than they were after rollover day. And there's certain people that just can't hold on to them. So that's the first thing that I do. From there, I go elite profile hunting I love getting just the absolute studs at certain positions. And at that point, I'm willing to consolidate to do so. It opens up roster spots for me. So if I ever do make a draft pick, I've got space for them. Um, and it also just creates opportunities to get a bunch of free stuff off the waiver wire. When the rookie draft comes around, I go dead silent. I don't care. You guys have fun. Draft your players feel good about it, make your deals. It's a contrarian move because everyone's online and active, but I don't want any part of that because I don't want to get swept up in rookie hype. From there, there's a dead point where people are, you know, hitting the uh, oh shit button where they don't have what they thought they were going to get out of the rookie draft. And there's an opportunity to help people quote unquote balance their rosters that I'll try to take advantage of. And then it gets really quiet and we would just wait for injuries. And so I try to have enough backup running backs to take advantage of a potential ACL pop. Yeah. I like that one too. So it, so it's kind of in phases, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 But yeah. And mine is, mine is very similar. Um, yeah. Like the running backs generally are kind of the, the last phase essentially. Although what I will say is like J.K. Dobbins was one that I was targeting pretty heavily early on. Um, and, you know, back to Dynasty Outhouse slash Jeff Bell slash Peter Howard, whoever, whoever is the, the you know, the wizard behind the curtain um, of those three, those three people. But like this is a Dynasty Outhouse thing, but he talks a lot about um, and I and I love Russ to death. He's got a lot of analysis that I agree with, um, but this is not one of them. (laughs) He talks a lot about, you know, at the running back position, you don't want to, you don't want to invest in running backs early in the non-point scoring season, Um, you know, because they tend to lose value. Like the, the rookie draft can absolutely kill them. And that's all of it. It's very true. But if everybody in the, this is just another one of those things, contrarian, zig when everyone's zagging. Everyone talks about they want to zig when everyone else is zagging, but they don't actually find the opportunities to do that. Here's one of them. This is one of them. And it's, it's when everybody else feels like running backs are not worth trading for, right now that means those running backs are very very cheap yep. and jk dobbins is 
one of those guys. I I never bought into the mock drafts where Bijan Robinson was going to go to the Baltimore Ravens. I was like, there's absolutely no reason for them to make that pick. But you know, even if it did, I would have got J.K. Dobbins so cheap that it wouldn't freaking matter. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been it would have been just fine. And not only that, Bijan Robinson would have gotten hurt. And then J.K. Dobbins would have had that role that I expected all along anyways, and I would have got a full return. <laughs> like, like, why wouldn't we just why wouldn't we just do this? But especially if everybody is telling you don't invest in running backs. Yes. That means that they're going to be super cheap. And so now is the time to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. When Bijan went to the Falcons, the first thing I did was send out third round draft picks for Algier. And I got three of them done. I couldn't believe it. He is worth so much more than a third round pick to me because I know that top 24 running backs, half of them miss at least four games a year and it's going to happen eventually. And if it doesn't, I don't really care because look what's happening to Alexander Madison right now. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. Yeah. And, and, it also makes Ty Chandler a pretty big buy all of a yeah. sudden too, because I, I, I mean, for you, it's, uh, I, I don't Wongo? Oh, yeah, Wongo. I love him. I love him so much. <laughs> <laughs> Watch it actually ends years. up. It's he, actually going to be CJ ham, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. All right. Give me 30 seconds of Kenny, please. Sure. Yeah. Fourth round pick. He, yep played in a smaller school because he wanted to be close to his family. His family asked him to stay close to home. He is a hell of a kick returner. He's a super athlete. And guess what? This is a meat grinder of a position. I think he's going to have an opportunity. And I think in week 12 or whatever, we're going to be starting Kenny Wongwu. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's like, it's the most likely scenario, right? Like again, Mm -hmm probabilities say that yeah these these running backs are going to get hurt you're going to get to at least a third guy on your depth chart yep possibly even beyond that and so yeah i mean after ty chandler has his his time in the sun then yeah wong Wu is next up that's fair <laughs> <laughs> i think we have to end on wong Wu. i can't imagine a better ending <laughs> That's true. He's he is the ultimate exclamation point. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. That's that's kind of I don't know. Like the I, I feel like the easy answer to the question: What are your goals in the non-point scoring season? It's really just kind of you know I'm I'm trying to secure a certain roster build, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm trying to work towards that. I'm trying to take advantage of the markets. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to focus on the more foundational positions first, generally. But more than anything, I'm just looking at what everyone else is doing and what everyone else is what everyone else is saying to do on Twitter, and I'm actively doing the opposite because that's like that you know that type of disruption is where uh, you know where dynasty power comes from that's where dynasty championships come from so yeah asymmetrical outcomes one out of yep. 12 
There you go. Yep, exactly. So yeah, we can uh we can we can wrap it up for the week because man, we could just keep talking and we will. We'll have mm-hmm. plenty of opportunities. Uh if it doesn't happen again before the season starts, we're gonna have 17 weeks to talk about roster management together. <laughs> um we'll we'll definitely get into specific names. We'll be talking about Kenny Nguangwu at some point. We'll be talking about Ty Chandler at some point, but um, and many, many others, but we're also just going to talk some general strategy and it's going to be glorious. Tommy Blair. Hell yeah. Thank you for helping me. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for helping me answer these questions. And, uh, um, thank you for your time. And you also jump jumped on, first of all, very shortly after your first appearance and also on very short notice. So, like it just kind of like a, a heroic effort. And I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I, I'm glad you invited me back and I'm looking forward to doing this 17 more times and hopefully beyond because mm-hmm. I, I love the way you think. I love disagreeing with you. I think this <laughs> is going to be a blast and I hope the super friends enjoy it. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I can't imagine that they don't. Uh, he's so I've been going back to I've, I've been trying to fall back in love with twitter and part of that is talking about twitter again uh i don't love that it's just kind of part of the podcasting formula mm-hmm. but what i will say is uh tommy blair at ff tommy b is criminally underfollowed uh, considering the 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 type of analysis that he's putting out right now uh, and he deserves he deserves your follows. He deserves uh, and and honestly, you're going to be better for it. So consider giving the man a follow. He's at FF Tommy B. Twitter still kind of sucks, but we're both there. So let's talk. Let's let's talk Superflex while we're all just gathered in one stupid little corner of the internet. <laughs> let's let's make the best. If we're going to if we're all going to be on Twitter together, let's make the best of it and have some good conversations about Superflex and Dynasty and Quarterback Extreme and the Elite QB strategy and um that's that desperately needs a uh, a, a catchy name. <laughs> so, yeah, make sure you give him a follow at @fftommyb. Thanks again, Tommy. I appreciate it. Yeah. And we'll talk again real soon. Um, consider that Trevor Lawrence trade. I want to work something out. I got to have my guy. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm sorry to say, but <laughs> I have to try. All right, everyone. I appreciate I mean, it... you listening. It's been so much fun. And I promise you, we're going to, we're going to get real gritty with some of these running backs and backup quarterbacks. And next week, this week, it's, we're going to deliver some real actionable advice this year. It's going to be, a, it's going to be a great time. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I agree. Let's wrap this episode up for the week. And as we do that, ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to the DLF Family of Podcasts Mega Feed. Get access to the Super Show, among many, many other great podcasts from Dynasty League Football. And once you've subscribed to the Super Show, if you do us a favor and rate and review the show, those ratings and reviews really help to get out to more people, involve more people in the conversation. And from there, we can really zero in on a topics that are the most useful to you, my super friends, particularly on these Ask Me Anything episodes. Those are always fun. And uh, we get to we get to dissect what it is that you're thinking about, what it is that you're dealing with, 
But the only way we can do that is if we hear from you. And the only way we can hear from you is if you know we exist. So help the world find and communicate with the Superflex Super for sure. Uh, let's see. On Twitter, at Superflex Dude, um, DM me. I prefer DMs. I, I, I don't know. It, the the conversations on Twitter are just a lot more manageable in DMs. But you can always tweet at me, share those trade polls, and I'll retweet them for you. Help you get more votes and more more interaction. Always happy to do that as well. Uh, Superflex show exists, but ignore it. I do, so you should too. This episode was dedicated in loving memory to James the Brain Catullus. Thank you to DLF for the platform. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the music. Thank you to my man Tommy B for his time. And above all else, thank you for listening. And until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah, I'm